got your Bibles, go with me to James chapter 3. How many of you are ready for the word this morning? Hopefully you are. Um, we are cruising along in James. We finished up. We got a lot of work done last week. Um, on your app, you can find the podcast if you missed out last week as well. Um, Eric was mentioning it, the Connect card. We'd love for you to fill that out um, on, on your app, or you can do it from the bulletin. Make sure that you bring that to us after service because we've got a gift for you out at our Connect table. We'd love for you to be able to, uh, to grab a hold of that. But if you got your Bibles... Go with me to James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. A lot of scripture to read. And then we're going to kind of dig in, in, in from there. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's a very strong statement right there, um, if you didn't notice. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and Cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Today as we continue on in our series, Jimmy, I want to speak to you from the subject where the wild things are. Where the wild things are as we deal with the issue of our tongue. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful. I thank you for these beautiful people, this amazing church. Not the four walls, but the people. All of us who make that up. And so this morning I pray that as we dig into your word, that you'd speak to us. Our hearts are open, our ears are listening. Speak to us now. We want to be better. God, I pray that your spirit would set us free this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. How many of you have read this book before, Where the Wild Things Are? Come on, just show hands. How many of you love this book? How many of you it just injured you as a child? Um, they're just playing. <laughs> I literally read something yesterday on a blog about where the wild things are, and this person got online and was saying that how messed up they were because of the Wild Things book, and I was like, you dug way too far into it. So, but I digress. In the 1963 classic, Where the Wild Things Are, writer and author Maurice Sendek tells the story of a young boy named Max who misbehaves in a way that gets him sent to his room without dinner for the remainder of the evening. Upon his confinement, his mind wanders, eventually bringing him to a distant land that is only described as where the wild things are. Upon his arrival, the wild things roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes and showed their terrible claws. In the greatest effort possible, Max works to tame the wild things, 
Though for one moment tamed, the wild things soon begin to expose themselves for who they really are. Unable to once again tame the wild things and missing the ones that he loves, Max sails back to reality to find himself in the safety and warmth of his own home with a hot meal waiting for him. Much like the book where the wild things are, James is teaching us that the tongue is a world unto itself, and many times a world that is difficult to control. In ancient culture, the human body was seen as a microcosmos, so to speak, in order to relate the human body to, to the world. In ancient culture, the people would try to relate themselves to the universe. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but the universe is pretty expansive. It's pretty massive. It's gigantic, and so in ancient times, they would, uh, to, to relate better to it, they would see their body as a microcosmos, the human as a microcosmos to the universe. James takes this a step further by relating the tongue as a microcosmos to the body. So it's like three stages deep. I don't know if you've ever seen Inception before, <laughs> right? One of the greatest movies ever made. It's three levels deep here James is going with it. He's borrowing, he's leaning upon ancient culture and this relationship that people would have with the cosmos, and he's relating the tongue, this world of the tongue, as a microcosmos to the body, one that in fact is difficult to deal with. One that has the power to control the entire body in the course of life. And it's in this particular piece of scripture James deals with some things that were taking place amongst the people that he was writing to. Now, i got to set some context. Everybody shout context. It's really important to understand the context of what we're talking about so that as we deal with what we're going to deal with, the practical application that I love to get to at the end of this thing, we got to understand why James was dealing with what he was dealing with, all right? So the first reason that he's talking about the tongue is, one, he was dealing with false and inaccurate teachers. James 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, right? Now, he wasn't applying that we who teach are perfect or to be perfect. No, no. But what he was saying and what he was addressing was a group of people that were running around believing that they could handle the teaching of the gospel to the people in a way that the apostles and, and, and those who had been discipled and those rabbis who had been working through it, they were dealing with it in a haphazard way. It's kind of like they were going onto Wikipedia and saying that they were Bible scholars. Okay? How many of you know, stop there, right? And that's what James was addressing. So he's saying, not many of you should be held, uh, it should be teachers because it is a weighty issue. You can ask any of my team, you can ask my, my wife, as, as I prepare to stand before you every single weekend, or the weekends that I do, or any, any teacher that stands behind this pulpit, it is taken with great weight and great measure. There is a lot of work that goes into this. Now, there's a lot of smarter people than me out in the world, but I spend anywhere from about 15 to 20 hours a week prepping for these messages. Why? Because there is a weight, there is an understanding that I have that I want to give our church the best and most accurate teaching that I can give. Why? Because it's the power of God's Word, and to handle it should not be done haphazardly. So, he's dealing with false and inaccurate teachers. He was also dealing with those who professed perfection, James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So there were people in their group that were saying, I actually can, like, everything that I say is awesome. I'm perfect in my speech, it is holy, it is pure, it is all of those things, and he's like, no, no you don't, not at all, right? 
The third thing he was dealing with was the complete power of the tongue. James 3, 3 through 5, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. He would talk about ships and, and rudders and where the, the pilot directs. What he was dealing with was the total, the, the totality of the power of the tongue. How many of you know that your tongue is powerful? Right? It's gross, but it's powerful. <laughs> At the end of the day, and though a small aspect of who we are, a small aspect of the human body, how many of you know that it yields great power? The words that we say can be massive. Just a few words. Those, any of us in any type of relationship, whether married or friends or family, how many of you know that just a few words can ruin your entire day? But how many of you know that just a few words can lift up your entire day? There is power in our words, so he's dealing with the power of the tongue. And James actually gives us this idea that the tongue may be the most powerful part of who we are. The, other th- the next thing that he, uh, he, he deals with is the effects of the tongue. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a, a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And that's where then we shift into this idea of where the wild things are. This microcosmos, this thing, I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever seen this before or understood this or maybe uh, participated in this, but you say things and you don't mean to say them and you're like, how did, that, how did that get said? It's like, that's where the wild things are. They gnashed their terrible teeth and they roared their terrible roars and all of a sudden your mouth starts doing things that you're like, why are you doing that? You ever been there before? And that's what he's starting to see is the effects of this tongue. And the effects of the tongue, when we're not careful with what we say and how we say it and the things that are coming out of our mouth, it will set ablaze the course of our life. It's the power of the tongue. Then he deals with another issue, the hypocrisy of the tongue. James 3, 9 through 12, with it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. He who says he loves God but does not love his brother does not love God. It's that double-minded tongue. And with it we bless our God and Father, but then on the same side we curse the very ones who were made in his image and likeness. So it's the hypocrisy of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says this, and I think it sums all of this up. Well, James's greatest argument, I think it's found right here in Proverbs 18, 21, where it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, are in the power of the tongue. So we've got to understand that there is power in this tongue. That little thing in your mouth, that little gross, nasty thing in your mouth is the most powerful thing in your body. It has the ability to set on course, ablaze the the life that you lead. The things that you say, the way that you say it, the things that come out of your mouth have the ability and the power to change the course of your day, your week, your month, and even your year. Your mouth will change your marriage. Your mouth will change your relationships. Our mouths will change our city. It will affect our churches. It will affect our workplaces. Come on, somebody. The mouth is a very powerful thing. And so we've got to learn how to deal with our, our mouth. So I want to take us to Joshua, chapter 6, verse 10. Joshua is one of my most favorite characters in the Bible. He's a stud of a leader. He takes over from Moses. 
leading the children into the promised land, the, the children of Israel, the exodus that Moses had been leading, he brings them into the promised land and starts instilling all these things. He fights battles, he leads them, he builds a society, all of these things Joshua starts to do. But they find themselves in this predicament leading up to Joshua chapter 6 verse 10. As they enter into the promised land, they find themselves at the wall of Jericho. How many of you have heard this story before? And Jericho was a fortified city with a wall around it. And one of the first things that God tells Joshua is that you are going to defeat the city. That wall is going to fall down, but this is how you're going to do it. You're going to get all your people, and you're going to march around the wall. And when I give you the command, you're going to open your mouth. You are going to shout. You are going to yell. You're going to worship. You're going to say what I need you to say, and the wall is going to come down. Come on, how many of you would look at Joshua like, you nuts? That's not how you win a battle. You're thinking swords and spears and bombs and guns and all of these things. And you're like, that's how we're going to defeat an army. And he says, no, 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 I just want you to walk around a wall a bunch of times. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you will get that. Others are like, what is he talking about? So this is the lead up to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day that I tell you to shout. This is what he says, I want your mouth to fast. Think about that. I want your mouth to fast. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. And the rest of chapter 6, it would tell the story of Jericho, and they would find themselves circling the wall, shouting and, and, and yelling, and eventually the wall would, would come down. I want to look at that part, though, where he tells them, you need to keep your mouth quiet. Your mouth needs to fast. And I want to look at some principles that we can learn from it that I think are important and why Joshua, we're going to read between the lines a little bit this morning. Can we do that? And why Joshua would ask them to keep their mouth quiet. Just turn to your neighbor this morning and say, shut your mouth. <laughs> turn to your other neighbor and say, don't talk to me that way. <laughs> Three things that we learn regarding our tongue. Everybody shout number one for me. The first one is this. We must learn to go up rather than out. We must learn to go up rather than out. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Watch this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. What's everything? Everything? No, that's just some things. Everything? No, you're playing. Everything? Everything? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to everyone else, your neighbor, and all the problems that you're having, tell them too. Does it say that? No. Let your requests be made known to who? God. Isn't it funny that when we have the greatest complaints, the greatest issues, the greatest problems with things, all the frustrations of life, we have a tendency to go out with our words rather than up with our words? And I just wonder, can, we, can, we read, can you give me some like space to, lead, to read between the lines this morning? If, because we're dealing with real human beings here, if Joshua comes to you and me and says this is the plan of attack, 
How many of you know that you and I might be tempted to get into a quarter and be like, Josh was nuts. You see what I'm talking about here? It's interesting that Joshua tells them that I need you to fast with your mouth. I need you to be quiet. And when we learn to stop, when we learn to hold back, it forces us to go somewhere with our words that we naturally don't want to. See, it's easier for us to go to the people around us, and I'm not talking about don't have accountability or don't share things with people. No, 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 I'm not not talking about that. But I'm generally speaking about the complaints, the supplications, the fears, the insecurities. We have a tendency to make a bigger deal about them because we put them out rather than up. And so what we start doing is we start heaping our problems out this way when the one we should be giving the problems and the frustrations and the fears to, our words need to go up. And so many times we're tempted to go out with them. (laughs) Instead of up with them. Make your requests known to God. In other words, come on somebody, your complaints need to become prayers. What Joshua and the children of Israel were about to do was something that was going to take a great amount of faith and trust in God. Joshua didn't have room for complaints or destructive talk. See, have you ever noticed how your conversation can affect the situations that you find yourself in? See, what we speak is a pretty good indication of what we think, and what we think is is good insight to what we believe, and what we believe influences how we live and what we speak. When you learn to shut your mouth, (laughs) your outward conversation becomes upward dialogue. In other words, you learn to go to God with the stuff. And what's happened is that we have come to believe that it's our right to say whatever we want when we want. And some of us in here exercise that as much as possible. The question is not whether we have the right or not. The question and the real issue is whether it's healthy or not. And I think that Joshua was giving the people the opportunity to go to God in this particular time in their journey. Now we have to understand this. These people were famous for complaining. The children of Israel, if you study Exodus, they were famous for constantly complaining. When Moses goes up on the mountain, they complain about it. And what happened out of their complaints? A golden calf. That was a great idea. (laughs) Right? (laughs) These are the very same guys that when they got out of captivity, they've got quail running around and manna from heaven. I mean, like it's a a Lord-sized buffet. And they say, this isn't good enough. I would rather be in captivity with the food of three square meals a day than out here in an exodus being provided by the miraculous hand of God. These people were famous for messing things up with their their mouth. Why? Because they didn't know how to go up with their stuff. They constantly went out. Psalm 55, verses 22, it says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Cast your cares. Cast is the demonstrative word, isn't it? Cast is a big word. It's not like lightly toss. Right? It's not softball pitch. Right? It's not left-hand girl throw. And I know some of you girls can throw. (laughs) 
He says, cast. Cast your cares. Throw them. Heave them. It's an action word. It's a passion word. So many times we're casting our cares onto our Facebooks. That's not what the Bible says. Cast your care upon Facebook so the many of thousands of people can help you out with that. <laughs> See, they were dealing with Facebook. Oh, Lord, thank God that the children of Israel weren't on Facebook. <laughs> unfriend, 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 unfriend. Guys, let's build a cap. Unfriend. <laughs> <laughs> the things we learn in church. First Peter 5, 7, cast, once again, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, when we go out with our words, we're not casting it upon the ones who have the ability to care for us or carry it. When we go up with our words, we're giving it to the one who says, I will be in the midst of it. Number two, every shot number two. Too. The second one is this, the second thing that we learn from the story of Joshua is we must learn to surrender rather than subvert. We must learn to surrender rather than subvert. You know, for the most part, we, we don't do it on purpose. But more often than not, the way that we talk is an act of subversion in our own lives. Have you ever noticed that? My little boy, Justice, he, he's awesome. Um, I get to baptize him today after the 11 a.m. service, and and he's been bugging me about baptism. Dad, can I get, and uh, he goes, Dad, can I get baptismed? And I was like, <laughs> luckily your salvation's not predicated on English, but okay. So <laughs> I, said, I said, why do you want to get baptized? He's like, because I got faith in Jesus, and Jesus loves me. And I'm like, that's good enough. Let's do this, right? And so I told him last night, I was like, after the 11, 11, p, or 11 a.m. service, and so he runs up. He's so excited. So my, 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 my little buddy, he is, he's boisterous, and he's fun, and he's loud, and all those different things, and he's the worst person to play hide-and-go-seek with. <laughs> the worst. Because you want to play hide-and-go-seek, and I'm like, am I on your team? He's like, yeah, and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> and this is why, because whenever I find myself in a position of hiding with my son, I'm like, dude, you need to be quiet. Because his sister's really good. She's like, she is super like into it, right? She's competitive. She's going to win. And so she'll be quiet. But my son won't. <laughs> and so I'm hiding with him. And I'm like, son, you got to be quiet. And then all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, shush. And then he's like, we're here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he likes to be found. <laughs> he would constantly sabotage our game by giving away our position, by running his mouth. How many of you have ever been around that person who's always talking down or negative or talking bad about others, and at some point all you want to say is shut up? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Why? Because it affects you. It affects your mood. It affects the way that you feel about yourself. It affects the way that you feel about others. And it affects your life. There have been so many times where I've been around people and simply by the way that they talk, I feel like the things that they were saying sabotaged my entire day. And I don't want to be that person. Our journey as a, as a Christ follower is to be the type of person that lifts up with our words. 
We've got to learn to surrender our words unto God, not allow them to sabotage or subvert our lives. Husbands and wives, do you know the words that you say will subvert your marriage? Even just the tiny little things, it will bring sabotage to our relationships. The words that we say will sabotage our churches, it will sabotage our workplaces, it will sabotage our own selves. We've got to understand that our words have power, and so we've got to learn to surrender them rather than allow them to subvert in our lives. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, probably one of the most powerful statements Jesus makes about our mouth, and scary to boot, says this. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart your mouth speaks. We talked about that a little while ago. Watch verse 35. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Watch this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Have you ever done a drive-by shooting with your words? Boom, 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 boom. People going down everywhere. Every careless word. Does that mean I need to think about everything that I say? That'd be a good place to start. I wrote the post that I did yesterday on, on Instagram and went to my Twitter feed and, and Facebook. Just a short few sentences on social media. I was in sitting down at my desk typing that for two hours. Some of you might be like, you're slow. <laughs> that is true. But what's the deal? We have to labor over our words. Because two careless words could ruin an entire chapter of well-thought words. Two careless words in your marriage could unravel all the great compliments that you give. Come on, am I talking to anybody in here? We've got to understand that our words are powerful and they will subvert our lives. And the third one is this. Number three, ever shot number three? We must learn to worship rather than whine. We must learn to worship rather than whine. Are you guys being challenged this morning? Because <laughs> I read this piece of scripture and I've read this many, many times. And every time I read it, it just hits my heart. Because I'm a big whiner. Can I put it out there this morning? I whine a lot. You can ask my wife. Right? There's me and then the kids. And I have a tendency to get really frustrated sometimes. And so, and so I, I whine. And, and, I, and, I, and I expel my frustration in a whiny matter. But there's something that I'm learning, a principle that I'm learning in my life is that I can turn my whining into worship. Because there's a difference in the two. Whining supposes that God doesn't have power. Worship supposes that he has all the power. So I can whine about my situation or I can worship about my situation. And the, the question is, is who am I giving it to and what do I want to see? Watch this, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of faith, so that in the day of Christ I may 
Be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When we learn to fast with our mouths, when we learn to quiet ourselves, we're taking a disposition of worship. I want you to think about this as we close. Joshua says, guys, I need you to be quiet. I don't want you to complain about what I'm asking you to do. I don't want to hear your opinions about what I'm asking you to do. God has spoken. He said, this is the way that we're going to deal with the wall. I want you to be quiet until I tell you to. And the Bible tells us that when they walked around the wall, when they got to the place where they had to then obey God's word on it, it says that they lifted their voice and The Bible doesn't tell us that when they lifted their voice, they started complaining, and they started whining about things, and they started talking about all their frustration. No, the Bible tells us that when they lifted their voice, that the wall literally started to fall down. See, we don't worship after the wall falls. We worship to see the wall fall. We don't worship after the fact. We don't whine and then move into worship because many of us believe and we'll push and we'll position ourselves in this place. If I whine loud enough to God, maybe my wall will fall down. He says, ah, when you worship, the wall will fall. So I need to hear your worship before the wall falls, not after the wall falls. See, our worship is not a response to the miracle. Our worship is an initiation to what he already said that he would do. He said that the wall would fall down and so I'm gonna worship him. I'm not going to whine about my situation. I'm not going to whine about my problems. I'm not going to whine about my sickness. I'm not going to whine about these things. Why? Because I serve a God who said, I will do exceedingly and abundantly above what you could ever ask, hope, or imagine. We must learn to worship. Rather than whine, they saw the wall fall down, church. They saw it fall down. What is in your life right now that you're hoping falls, but you haven't given it worship? What's in your life right now where you've been going out with everything instead of up with everything? What's in your life right now where your words, instead of being surrendered unto God, have subverted everything in your life? James says the tongue, where the wild things are, It's an unruly evil at times and has the ability to set on fire the course of our life. They roared their terrible roars, they gnashed their terrible teeth. My prayer is this this morning, church, that all of us could look at our mouth and ask God for the wisdom to deal with it that we could learn to put into practice. Does that mean we're perfect? No, not at all. We're gonna mess up. But come on, if we put some boundaries, if we put some bits in there, we start saying, no, this this tongue of mine, (laughs) it's directed with upward motion. It's surrendered unto God. And it's full of worship. And the wild things will be tamed. In Jesus' name, come on, would you stand to your feet with me this morning?